Did you know reforesting about 2.2 billion acres could store 205 gigatons of carbon? That's the equivalent of two-thirds of all the carbon humans have already released into the atmosphere. Welcome to Sustainability Matters Today, where you'll learn about the fantastic work people and organizations are doing right now to heal our planet through environmentally friendly products and methodologies. My name is Daniel Hartz, and I speak with amazing champions of sustainability who prove a clean and beautiful future on Earth is possible because green practices oftentimes make financial sense. I aim to uncover the important role money plays in people's decisions to adopt and commit to environmentally friendly practices in order to create a chain reaction of positive change. In each episode, you'll also learn practical steps you can take every day to live a more eco-friendly lifestyle. Let's jump in. In this episode of Sustainability Matters Today, I interview Dr. Stephen Fitch, founder and CEO of Eden Reforestation Projects and champion of reforestation and ecological restoration. Launched in Ethiopia in 2004, Eden Reforestation Projects restores healthy forests in Madagascar, Haiti, Nepal, Indonesia, Mozambique, and Kenya, while reducing extreme poverty by employing thousands of local villagers to plant trees in deforested areas. Eden has been recognized as one of the most cost-effective reforestation projects in the world. Please make sure to subscribe to the Sustainability Matters Today podcast to learn more about other champions of sustainability like Steve. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you for joining me today, Steve. Great to have you on the show. Well, thanks, Daniel. I hope this will be interesting, not bore anybody to tears. So let's go for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it'll be. I'm sure it'll be fascinating. Um, well, let's start with um, with who you are. Uh, I think that's a, a great way to to begin. Um, I'd love to also hear about Eden Reforestation Projects and the work that that you do uh, with Eden. Yeah, thanks, uh, Steve Fitch. Um, I am just an average guy, I guess. It, that's that luckily stumbled into some wonderful experiences that got uh, Eden going. So I'm the founder CEO of uh, Eden Reforestation Projects. We are one of those wondrous nonprofit organizations uh, residing in California, uh, USA. We work in six nations at this point, and that's Madagascar, Haiti, Nepal, Indonesia, Mozambique, and most recently Kenya. We're exploring a a bunch of other nations in Central and South America. And bottom line is, is this year we're going to plant over 60 million trees in our in our history. We're closing in on 300 million. And our goal next year is uh, a whopping 100 million or more trees in one year. Wow. So loads of fun. It's a big project. It kind of is. According to the guys at Ecosia, we are the most prolific tree planting organization on the planet. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And so, how did the how did Eden Reforestation Projects get started, or how did you get started in tree planting? Well, I've always been one of those guys that love looked on, uh, looking under rocks and playing with critters, and you know, just being out and about. I wanted to be a field biologist uh, in college, and ended up getting sidetracked on that. But um, I was doing development, kind of traditional development work in uh, Ethiopia. Mm. And, you know, hospitals and schools and clinics, and we had an HIV daycare center and all kinds of stuff like that. 
And I also got to be friends with President Haile Mariam of the Southern People's Region of Ethiopia. And he basically nailed me. That's what politicians do, I suppose. Um, he, uh, he said, you really do good work and you get stuff done in kind of record time, but you, you're actually ignoring our nation's greatest need. And with that wondrous guilt trip, uh, I said, okay, uh, what a backhanded compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and he says, well, all the studies show if Ethiopia doesn't reforest in the next, I think it was like 25, 30 years that we're going to be destroyed as a nation. Um, bottom line is, is if you can't, you know, they're an agricultural nation's like 75, 80% of their population, small plot farmers. So if, if that's wiped out, the environment's wiped out, then the farming's wiped out, the economy's wiped out, the nation's wiped out. Hmm. So I made the mistake of saying, well, what can I do to help? And he said, well, there's this failed project, a forest restoration project on the other side of Lake Hawassa that gone for three years. And, uh, after all that time and money and expertise, they don't have a single surviving tree. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to take over the project. Gulp. Um, so I said, you know, let me go see it. And, and I found myself on a really, another really bad road bouncing across, uh, potholes all the way and got to the Udu Watete escarpment and just saw this devastation. Uh, and, um, Long story short is spent quite a bit of time with the people and the elders understanding why they thought it failed. And, and then I went back to the U.S. and um, I was wrapping up a doctoral program about to enter the dissertation phase and studied what works and what doesn't. And it really comes down to this. If you don't care for the people who are desperately poor in the region, they're going to continue to turn as a last resort to uh, what will pay them a dollar or two a week. And that is cutting down a tree or two trees, two or three trees to turn into charcoal. And imagine millions and millions and millions of mainly women cutting down two, three, four trees a week to turn it into charcoal. And that's what's happening across Africa and the world. So Mm. we came up with, the employee to plant methodology, change the economic equation. So we hire desperately mm-hmm. poor people to grow or produce, plant, and then protect uh, the trees to maturity. So that's our deal. Well, that's a great introduction. And what a way to get started to have the president of the country tell you that you're the perfect person for this incredibly difficult job that has already failed once. Last time I'm ever going to speak to a politician, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look where it's got you. Yeah. So And so why is planting trees so important? Why is that your whole thing? Well, it, it really um, comes down to what I mentioned a moment earlier. If the environment is destroyed, it really doesn't matter how sophisticated your culture is, whether it's impoverished Ethiopia or, or the U.S. or Canada or the U.K. If you wreck your environment, you wreck the economy. Um, of course, the, the first to suffer will be the poor. They're most dependent upon the land or the sea because uh, they're, they're going directly to the land and the sea to, to produce their, their food for the day or for the week or their income. 
And, you know, you cut down trees specifically, uh, you, you have your water tables drop. So your springs dry up like our new project site in Kenya at the Kajabi forest, uh, 15 years ago, there was nine, uh, permanent rivers flowing out of the top of the escarpment. Now there's one. Wow. Um, and that's commonplace. And that's because there are no more trees there. Yeah, because trees are the sponges of the earth. Forests are the sponges of the earth. They uh, take the rainfall and gently absorb it into the aquifers, the underground water tables. Mm. And um, that's what recharges springs. And then that's about half the water goes uh, either into the ground or into uh, streams and rivers. And then the other half evaporates up. And then it turns into cloud formations and passes on to the next uh, geological system. But if those trees aren't there, there's no filter system. So the water hits the ground. It, it, it causes horrible erosion and flooding. And uh, the, the list of stuff that people don't tend to think about that, that trees do goes on and on. Of course, their mm -hmm. animal habitat, their shade, their, their food, their fruit, their medicine, uh, there's just no, no downside trees yeah. <laughs> and we've, we've cut down half of them. So in the, on the planet in the last couple hundred years, that's crazy to think about. Um, the employee to plant model. One thing I read on your website, which blew my mind a little bit is that you can plant a tree for as little as 10 cents. So that means a dollar is 10 trees. Yeah. How, do, how do you do that? Well, I get asked that often and, you know, going back again to my doctoral studies, I had no idea how much other groups were charging. And yeah. there's, there's, there's factors. For instance, obviously wages in, in a developed nation like the UK or the US or Canada, uh, Japan, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, they're a lot higher. And so uh, rightfully that factor comes into play. And, and Eden specifically starts its mission with, uh, seeking to alleviate extreme poverty, which is a primary cause of radical deforestation in tropical nations. So mm -hmm. the wages are lower. They're still transformational in their cultures, but they're lower. So that's a starting point. The other thing is we keep things really simple. I, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but if you want to make things really difficult and expensive, hire somebody with a ton of degrees. Um, they'll turn a, a nursery into, well, crazy expense. And I, I've said this a number of times, growing trees is not actually all that difficult. Uh, if you stop and think about it, trees have actually been growing by themselves for some time now. Yeah, they're pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, they are really good at it. And so um, don't turn it into a uh, rocket science or what's the, the latest uh, rocket surgery. Um, you know, let it Get dirt, get get seeds, get water, get sun, and uh, put them all together, and voila, good stuff begins to happen. Yeah, there you go. I am I right in thinking? Uh, I saw on your website that you're also now collecting used water bottles and using that to uh, plastic bottles. Anything and everything we can think of to to make it more affordable. So you know, you got hotels and restaurants, and they they're just throwing all this these uh, plastic water bottles out. And I, it just struck me, heck, why are we paying two cents a, or one or two cents per every polypot that, you know, is just a, 
environmental method in itself. Let's let's take the water bottles and cut the bottom off, cut the top off, and use them. Yeah. And and they're re- reusable year after year. But there's also a lot of methodologies that don't require any kind of of uh, nursery plastic. Hmm. You know, there's all kinds of bare root. There's there's what they call seed balls and uh, other systems that are just as effective or more so than uh, growing a plant in a in a pot. Right. And is that is are all those systems and methods? Do you take advantage of all of them? Absolutely. And that's why we we apply a weighted average. We need nursery systems for the slower growing species um, that are harder to germinate, you know, so you leave those trees in the nursery longer. But the other systems um, with, you know, pioneer species for forced uh, enforced uh, efforts, they grow, they germinate quickly, they grow quickly, and they have... Uh, you know, really tough systems that uh, can handle just taking them direct from a, a seed bed or uh, put them in a, in a seed ball and, and planting that. I gotcha. Yeah. You, you've mentioned in uh, various places on YouTube, I think, that um, you get another question quite a lot, which is, um, how do you know forests won't be cut down again after they've been replanted. You've done all this hard work. So what if someone comes around and says, actually, you know what, we can make paper out of this? Yeah, it, it's a big deal. Uh, and it's a, it's a legitimate concern. So here's, here's our multi-tiered approach. Number one, um, we, we get agreements with the federal government, the, the regional government, and most especially with the local community that this plot of land is going to be uh, reserved in, in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. So you have a legal agreement. But the single biggest factor is when you change the, the economics at the local level. Um, what we've seen over and over at our sites is they grow, they plant it, and they protect. And it's their forest now. Um, and nobody's going to come in and cut down my forest, our forest, again, because we suffered you know, horribly when it was lost. And we now have understood through direct experience that when it's restored, the farming gets better, the water tables rise, we get springs again, the fisheries improve and so on. And, and then we hire guards. That's part of the 10 cent equation. And now we're adding a component where we're, we've started a, a board restricted endowment uh, where we're setting aside half a penny to a penny for every tree sold for guards in perpetuity. So after the uh, project is completed, after 12, 15 years, um, you still have guards and guards are effective. There's one other aspect. We also, about 10% of the trees are agroforestry trees, not permanent forestry trees. Mm -hmm. So the the people have fruit trees, fodder trees, you know, uh, because even construction wood trees, every culture needs... uh, wood products. And so you plan it into the equation and you end up with a more sustainable scenario for the people there. I gotcha. So you're hiring locals to, to actually plant the trees. And that's part of what the 10 cents goes toward. That's the majority. Um, Majority. Okay. And then they, they grow, they plant, and eventually they guard the forest and the trees. Yeah. And so at what point is a project considered done? 
when it's done. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, like in Maha... Bake the bread until it's ready. Yeah. Mahabana, Madagascar is this really large mangrove estuary. And when I was first there, it was just a wasteland. Um, mm. And here we are, I think it's 13 years later. Oh, wow. And we've planted over 60 million trees in that one estuary. Amazing. And now for as far as you can see, and you can't see very far standing <laughs> on the ground because there's just millions and millions and millions of new trees growing up. Um, so when it's when it's finished is is when it's reforested, and we only take on massive projects. But what's amazing, you've heard about all the benefits of you know the trees, but also the benefits of the pay to the people is uh, a remarkable part of the equation as well because. A lot of them, especially women, start micro enterprises with with savings from uh, their salary, and so mm. it just spins the economy. And their fisheries, of course, in Mahabana have dramatically improved. Uh, back to where they they uh, used to be historically, they're catching crab and shrimp and fish uh, because those ecosystems are so important to uh, coastal fisheries. And then a lot of the workers just love having a job for the first time in their lives. And so as mm. we, as we continue to expand, they, uh, they want to go to new sites. And we love that idea because they're already trained. They're already leaders. They're already trusted and, and proven uh, integrists. So uh, it's become a leadership multiplication factory for us to, to do this kind of approach as well. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I think, I mean, I did quite a bit of research and, you mentioned that it's not a dependence model. Um, no. And I was wondering, you know, if you're hiring employees, what happens when the project is done? I mean, what do they do? But it sounds like they have savings, they start their own little businesses, and some of them just carry on working with you. Yeah, actually, a lot of them start start businesses. And, I, you know, compared to business here, of course, it's small. But in their economy, mm-hmm. um, it's it's transformational. Uh, they're sending their kids to to school by the thousands now because wow. they can afford to pay for their children to have an education. Their medical is good. They they actually have a retirement benefit from, uh, you know, like Social Security that we have here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But again, they they don't want to stop working with Eden because they're loving it and they, they're loving the results. And uh, actually, a lot of people moved to Mahabana, Kalamboto, et cetera, because they heard there were jobs. Wow. They came from somewhere else. And now we're starting projects at their somewhere else. So they're going home. Amazing. It's it's a lot of unexpected consequences on the positive side that I would have never envisioned. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, even the the fact that there are more crabs and shrimp now because you're planting trees. Don't really think about that kind of connection. Yeah. You know what mangrove trees are? Maybe the audience doesn't know. Those are those freaky, mm. creepy trees that grow <laughs> you know, along the coast with like spider-like uh, legs for roots that grow into the ocean yeah. uh, and in the mud. Mm-hmm. Well, that's habitat for massive habitat. They're incredibly dense forest. And so all kinds of creatures, uh, crab, shrimp, and especially... Uh, Fish fry, the small baby fish, have some something like 70% of all reef species have some aspect of their reproductive cycle in mangrove estuaries. Oh, wow. So that habitat is so crucial even to the well-being of, 
of the world's coral reef systems. Hmm. That's incredible. It's pretty cool. It's amazing how um, just planting trees does so much for so many different life forms, humans included. Yeah. And one factor is uh, mangroves also sequester three to four times more carbon than any other uh, terrestrial or semi-terrestrial forest system. And that's because they sequester so much of uh, the carbon in soil sequestration. They're their roots are freaky. They they have to you know handle in incoming and outgoing tides mm-hmm. uh, twice a day, which is quite powerful at times. Yeah, yeah. they have to handle storm surges, mm-hmm. so their their roots have to establish quickly, and they they actually excrete. I, I it's like a coagulant, mm. um, and it and it captures mud, so they're kind of their own uh, mud gathering factories, and so all of that. Muds coming together with filled with massive amounts of of uh, sediment, and it's all captured anaerobically below the soil, and that's where you get the two to three times more just below the soil, mm-hmm. plus the tree mass itself. So it almost sounds like mangrove um, mangroves also maintain the coastline. They absolutely do. Like the tsunami that hit uh, Indonesia and India and Thailand, etc. Uh, what was that mm-hmm. like? What was it? Fourteen, fifteen years ago? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, where the where the mangroves were cut down along the coastlands, the local communities were just obliterated. Oh wow! Where where there were mangroves still healthy and in place, it was negligible. You know, imagine a kilometer or two or five or ten uh, thick of of these trees that grow these massive complex root systems. The tsunami hits and it's absorbed. Yeah. So they absorb, they they sequester or they capture soil running off from land, which keeps them from smothering the reef systems. And then conversely, when storms come along or tsunamis come along, they absorb the energy the other way. Yeah. There's no downside to mangroves unless you're wanting to walk through them. Then it's pretty <laughs> pretty awful. But uh I've done that too many times. <laughs> it sounds like a fair trade-off, though, I think. It, uh, we'll stay with it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so where have, I mean, you, so you just outlined um, miles or, as you're saying, kilometers and kilometers of millions, millions and millions of mangrove trees. Um, is Madagascar where you've seen the biggest change in terms of kind of the classic before and after? Uh, on a large scale, yes. Uh, what we've seen in our, our projects in Nepal I've never seen trees grow so fast. Mm. So we, you know, we started planting trees in what's called community forest along the Nepal-Indian border. Okay. Um, and four years later, you got this incredibly dense uh, multi-tiered canopy. Um, the trees are, depending on your metric system or your your British system, they're <laughs> they're like you know, t- ten meters or more tall. They're thirty uh, feet tall. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just amazing how fast they've grown. And the wildlife has been coming back like crazy. They've, they've had real problems uh, recently with elephants um, that they hadn't had in decades. Because the elephants have habitat again and they have all this understory to eat. And some of the younger elephants somehow managed to find out that, that the, there was beer in the village. And I'm not joking. <sighs> they, <laughs> so they've been raiding the the village, you know, for beer at night. I guess boys will be boys. Yeah. And uh, 
And unfortunately, an elephant will never forget. <laughs> and the elephant in the room is is literal, not figurative in this case. So, yeah, exactly. yeah. But it's it's amazing how fast the trees have grown there. Yeah. What's the what's so special about Nepal? Well, I think more than anything else, it's just the the basics come together. It's really good soil along the, mm. the you know that stretch of Nepal. Everybody thinks of you know, the Himalayas when they think of Nepal, but about a third of right. Nepal is lowlands. And uh, mm-hmm. so you got really good soil, you got good rainfall, you've got a lot of sunlight, and uh, that's kind of what you need yeah. to grow trees really fast. And so, zoom, they go. And at what point does wildlife start coming back, and where where does it come from? I mean, if some of the reforestation projects you've shown it's literally just bare dirt. And then a couple of years later, there's trees and all of a sudden magically wildlife just appears. Where, where are they coming from? Yeah, really, again, trees provide habitat and, and, it, and it's a chain effect. So you get a canopy again, and that provides uh, shade and leaf litter and moisture retention. Mm-hmm. So the first thing, if, if you're talking about wildlife, the first thing and the most prolific thing to return are insects. Um, you, you have no capacity to, to attract wildlife without a healthy forest that provides habitat for insects. Because mm-hmm. that brings in the, rep, the little reptiles, the little birds, the little mammals. And then the food chain starts to, to build on top of that. So, you know, birds bring in uh, increased diversity species of, of trees. Uh, and the Wheels of nature begin to spin, and pretty soon you've got medium-sized animals and large animals. And how do they get there? Uh, quote, Jurassic Park, nature always finds a way. Hmm. And I've been amazed at how far, in some of the readings I've done, how far animals can smell another forest. And they will just sneak across at night. Yeah, They're sneaky little guys. Um, <laughs> I guess elephants aren't little. Um but they find a way, and it takes time. And it, again, it has to happen, right. I guess you say progressively, but it happens. That's amazing. So is that, is that really the key to protecting en- endangered species like rhinos and orangutans is just reforestation? Uh, I, I think it's certainly a good start. I mean, there's, you know, the world has a, an enormous problem with poachers and mm, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> So there, there again, guards and agreements with governments come to play. Uh, and, and I think there's an increased awareness, uh, especially in the emerging generations that, hey, we're not, we don't want to wear a something coat or have, you know, a horn hanging from our wall. We'd rather have it yeah. hanging from the nose of a rhino. Um, and without habitat, they have no chance. But with habitat, you still need guards and, and awareness to protect and preserve. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned that at the beginning that over 50% or around 50% of the world's forests have been cut down in the last hundred years. With so much of the world deforested, how how do you pick your projects? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the most, one of the more common questions is, you know, is there enough space to plant trees? <laughs> and that's like saying, well, is there sand on, on the beach? Um, the, the least of our problems is the availability of of radically deforested vacated land 
So the real question is, can you develop um, infrastructure systems where you can hire workers, train workers, safely and integritously deliver their salaries? Can you in turn get uh, the monitoring and verification reports back? Will the people truly uh, protect? And the answer to that has been consistently yes. There's really important systems that relate to the boring part of forest restoration, which is kind of the business side. Mm. Do you have those reliable leaders? Do you have those reliable systems? Uh, can you prove you're doing what you say you're doing? And um, when the systems come together, that's kind of the place where it chooses itself. The forest restoration project site chooses itself. I see. Yeah. We, we recently went to Belize, for instance, and, mm-hmm. and that's not the royal we. That's actually <laughs> myself and Sahara and Ezra. Uh, went um, and bottom line is is we couldn't find the right leaders and we couldn't guarantee that we could communicate and we couldn't guarantee that we could deliver mm-hmm. uh, funds safely and and receive reports back. So the answer was uh, at least not yet. It's not soup yet. We're not we're not going to um, run down that path until all those pieces are in place. That must be a very tough call. It is. It is. But uh, it's an important one. Yeah. As much as you want to help, you want to make sure that actually you're not wasting any money or resources that could be going towards projects that are actually working. Right. The, the plague of, of so many projects is corruption. You know, you, you, you pass, I, and I, I hate to say it this way, but governments can be, and government officials can be incredibly corrupt because so often they're they're impoverished as well and their way of mm. uh surviving because they haven't been paid in the last six months is to to skim um money off of uh non-government um organizations etc so if you pass the money through them you're in trouble so you have to have direct banking systems and we live in a cool era where uh, one of the most common ways to pay people in africa is uh from phones, I mean, we, yeah. can, we can send them their money on on their on their cell phone. Yeah, it's super cool. I remember you um, in one of the videos on your website. You have a story about corruption and uh, how you were basically detained for a little while. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. What was what? <laughs> what happened there? Well, it's 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 a it's a fun story now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Good memory. Yeah. So we went into <laughs> Mahabad and Kalamburu, the first areas in Madagascar. And unbeknownst to us, about 80% of the adults living there were indentured servants. The, what we affectionately now call the fish lords came up with huh. this um, escalating debt scheme where the, you know, the fisheries were in decline because the mangroves were, were gone. Mm. And so the people were more desperate. So they, they didn't have good nets and they didn't may, probably didn't even have boats. So the fish lord would come in, I'll give you a boat, I'll give you a net, and you go out and you fish. And when you get back at the end of the day, I get 25 kilos of your fish. If you don't have, if you have over 25 kilos, you get to keep that. If it's under, you owe me more. 
Oh, wow. And increasingly, you know, it was almost day after day, it was more. Uh, it was, excuse me, it was, they weren't catching the, the quota. So mm-hmm. they were going further and further into debt. We didn't know that. Then Eden came into those communities and we started paying workers to uh, plant mangroves. And they're only working for Eden, like usually 12 to at most mm. uh, 16 hours a week normally. So they can still fish, but they're getting this first time in their lives consistent cash salary. And the first thing they did is they paid off their, their debt to the fish lords. And everybody was happy except for the fish lords. Hmm. They're really pissed off at us. Um, right. And we didn't know that. <laughs> uh, so, so we showed up, Jamie and I showed up uh, in Mahabana. And next thing you know, these two constables that came from Sualala, um, you know, like 30 kilometers away, the nearest uh, hellhole kind of a town, um, they placed us under hut arrest. And these fish lords had called, you know, brought the police over and bribed the police over, actually, and, and said, wow. in essence, these blancs, these white guys are coming in here trying to steal all the people's land and, and resources. And so when our workforce, which was like at that time about 200 adults, heard what was going on, they kind of rushed in and mobbed mobbed the police and mobbed the fish lords, and they had a trial uh, right there. And I'm, I'm pleased to say I was found innocent. But, uh, but for <laughs> about goodness, an hour yeah. and a half, I was under hut arrest with a couple of guys with uh, AK-47s. So um, That's insane. Did you have any idea what was going to happen? <laughs> um, my wife would have never let me go if... Uh, <laughs> If, if I'd have known and told her no, I mean, we just, we thought we were just doing this great stuff there and everybody was happy. We, again, we didn't know, but that, yeah. that's the time that the truth broke open. Cause we, you know, what the heck happened here? Mm. Other people explained it all. And it was just one of the, the, you know, oh, oh my gosh, kind of experiences where we didn't know we were having that kind of a, of an impact. And really Impoverished people are very vulnerable yeah. to schemes and corruption, and uh, they just they just need a job and they need their environment healed, and that's what we're doing with the employee to plant scenario. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Um, moving over to another side of the world, and thank you for sharing that story. It's really interesting, and glad it's over now. I'm sure, um, but yeah, yeah. If you want, I can have you arrested too. Just let me know. <laughs> Yeah, um, thank you. Um, I'll just uh, live vicariously through you on that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think of the fires going on in the Amazon at the time of this recording? Just for people listening, it's been about two months or so since there have been um, some pretty devastating fires in the Amazon rainforest. So I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are on uh, thoughts are on that, Steve. Well, it, it's a bit frustrating because the fires have been for you know blazing for a long time. How the media got a hold of it, all of a sudden, I'm not sure. Um, and they're, they're, they're burning now, and they probably will for some time. But it's not just the Amazon. It, it's all over the world. Hmm. Uh, some form of destructive uh, land clearing taking place. And, and fire is the, the fastest and cheapest way to do it. 
So how do I feel about it? It makes me sick. I'm sure it makes all of us sick. Uh, the pressure that, that it's got finally gotten noticed is wonderful because yeah. it's, it's forced the, the uh, Brazilian and Peruvian, et cetera, governments to, to do something. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I like that. Um, and then a lot of people are responding. Uh, Eden, for instance, and several other of our sister organizations are just being inundated with opportunities to plant more trees. So as awful as it is, I'm glad the tragedy of the fires in the Amazon have some kind of positive um, yeah. consequence and that brings awareness and protest. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I mean, the, the fires would burn anyway. Um, at the very least, they could bring attention yeah. and some, um, some rallying around the, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some rallying around the flag so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned at the beginning that you're looking into planting in Central and South America, um, hopefully in 2020. So is is this area, because Amazon stretches through several countries, um, is that yeah. a big focus for you? Absolutely. We, we have a, a meeting with uh, uh, a group of tribal elders from an indigenous people group um, that are mm -hmm. right on the border of Peru and Brazil. They're actually on mm -hmm. the Brazil side. We've got a meeting with them in about, I think it's 10, 12 days. Um, and we're exploring Honduras, uh, Belize, as mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. Guatemala and Nicaragua in the Americas. Um, then we're looking at a number of, of nations in uh, Asia as well. I grew up in the Philippines, so I'd love to get us back into the Philippines. Yeah, and especially with... Um all the palm oil. I'm sure there's a lot of work to be done there. Yeah, that's that's largely Indonesia, and we're already working in Indonesia. Um, I hope palm oil doesn't go to, go to the Philippines. We'll see. Yeah, maybe you can get there first. Everything you've described, it you know whether it's people, the planet, wildlife, you're having such an incredibly positive effect, and it's a knock-on effect too. You know, you, you plant a few trees, well, actually millions of trees. You're basically giving people control back of their lives. You're giving animals and wildlife a place to live. Uh, you're healing the planet through carbon sequestration. And we're talking about what it does for coral reefs and the oceans in general. How does, how does knowing that the work that you're doing every single day affects so many things positively, how does that make you feel? I mean, what... Oh. <laughs> I'm having the time of my life. Um, a lot of my motivation is, yeah, you know, I'm 62 now. Mm. I'm a young 62. I want to go on record. <laughs> uh, been happily married for 38 years. I have three kids, two grandkids. Wow. And a lot of why I'm doing this is I want my grandchildren to have a planet to enjoy. Um, mm. I want the, the people, uh, the impoverished people of the world to have a sustainable life in the future. And, it, it really is not beyond the realm of possibility to, to fix this, this planet again. We can do it. Yeah. Um, it seems insurmountable to us, you know, a trillion trees, but there's two billion people who would, would take the job to plant those trees if, if given the opportunity. And the economic consequences of ignoring all of our problems is going to be much higher than the cost of resolving our problems. Yeah. So why not be proactive and get something done? Absolutely. And like you've said, 
you don't need to plant people don't need to plant all trillion of those trees no the trees know how to plant themselves but natural regeneration what we've seen over and over again once we've established a native species canopy that you know the leaf litter is nitrogen fixing and moisture mm-hmm. retaining natural regeneration takes over and when we go back and do surveys inevitably at about year five, six or so, we can't hardly tell, you know, which trees we planted because there's so many more that, if you will, were regenerated naturally as a result of birds bringing in or just dormant seeds in the ground or whatever. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So a trillion trees is in the realm of possibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Why not? That's really good news. Yeah. Why not? Let's believe it. And let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. So what, speaking of which, what can people do to be more sustainable in their daily lives? Or what do you do? I think there's, there's two obvious things. One is, you know, if you can make wise choices regarding uh, consuming less, why not? And I drive a Prius. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, it's a great car and not... Uh, commercial for Toyota here, but uh, yeah. you had to get a sponsorship. Um, yeah. But bottom line is, is you know, I get I'm getting like 60 miles of the gallon, and the guy next to me in his in his Ford pickup truck is you know doing like 18, and mm. at four bucks a gallon, I'm the winner, and yeah. it's a great car. Um, you know, surprising how much the Prius can hold. Yeah, exactly, and you know, consume less, eat different. Um, Still enjoy life. I'm not. I'm not asking you to become a monk. You know, just yeah. uh, you know, think this through and and follow uh, simple guidelines and your own convictions and leave a smaller footprint. But that's reactive. Still, mm. I think the proactive part is um, help us plant trees. You know, I, I know it's a commercial for Eden, but doggone it, we've we've actually become, according to studies, the as I mentioned earlier, the world's most prolific tree planting organization. And what's the downside of paying desperately poor people to uh, plant trees at 10 cents a tree? There's no downside. Um, yeah. Not hurt, hurting anybody's sensibilities. <laughs> so let's, let's get that job done. Absolutely. And so if people did want to plant trees and support the work you're doing, how can they find you and Eden um, and to learn more and support the work you're doing? Yeah, easiest thing in the world, just EdenProjects.org, our website, and it's projects, plural, Mm because there is a wonderful organization in the UK that uh, is uh, doing some good work, and they're Eden Project. We're Eden Reforestation Projects. Yeah. And, again, every every dollar plants 10 trees uh, in uh, in most of our countries, in most of our systems. So pick your country, pick your system. Do you want mountain forest in Nepal? Do you want lowland forest in Nepal? Do you want uh, agroforestry in Haiti? And the list goes on. And uh, jump in. Make a make a difference. What you might consider small. What if uh, a million people started giving $20 a month? Yeah. Or 20 pounds a month. Even uh, better, yeah. You, all of a sudden, you uh, collectively are reforesting entire countries. So that's, that's my heart. Absolutely. Well, Steve, thank you very much. It's really inspiring to hear the work you're doing. I'm glad to see and to hear the massive amount of positive change you're making in the world. 
um, and it's 10 cents at a time. So very cool. Yeah. Cl- closing comment. It, it's really not me. We have an incredible team and there are literally thousands of, of villagers and wonderfully dedicated national directors, international directors, monitoring and verification uh, folks that are doing the real work. I think I've planted 18 trees myself so far. Um, they're doing the work. I just get to be the blabbermouth that shares the good news. So it's it's fun. That is fun. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll get to plant, plant a 19th tree at some point next year. I'll get to 19 yeah. this year. <laughs> next, next year. year. Yeah, yeah. Next year. Don't want to rush it. Go. Take your time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the, the care and consideration. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Steve Fitch and the Eden Reforestation Projects, please visit edenprojects.org and like their Facebook page at Eden Reforestation Projects. You can also follow them on Twitter at Eden underscore reforest for more updates. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. We're on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, and really anywhere else where you can listen to podcasts. And let us know you listened to this episode on Instagram. Tag us at Eden Projects and at Sustainability Matters Today. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks and talk to you soon.